Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today, I had the opportunity to connect with Dr. Donnie Wilson. She was a previous guest on episode 142. She is a naturopathic doctor, certified professional midwife, and the best-selling author of Master Your Stress, Reset Your Health. We dove deep into the role of stress, the impact of the stress response, including heart rate variability, the autonomic nervous system, and the role of the vagus nerve, what happens to our bodies in terms of chronic exposure to stress, specifically digestion, hormonal imbalances, neurotransmitter changes, and immune response, the impact of adverse childhood events and trauma, the different types of stress types, as well as recovery protocols. We did speak at length about measuring neurotransmitters in the urine, and she really identified one particular company that she likes to utilize. And lastly, we spoke about self-compassion and love, especially when we're dealing with stressful events in our lives. I hope you will enjoy this conversation and you definitely want to check out her book, Master Your Stress, Reset Your Health. Well, Dr. Donnie, it's so exciting to have you back. I had told listeners that I was bringing you back again, and it's such an exciting time for you with your new book, Master Your Stress, Reset Your Health. So let's start off the conversation really defining what is the role of stress? Because I think for a lot of people, they think stress is all bad. And I remind people that there's a lot of benefits to stress in our lives. It's when it becomes chronic, long-term debilitating. And we'll talk about that as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that, I mean, we we're humans. We have, sometimes we have to remember that. (laughs) And we have a built-in stress response system that's meant to protect us you know it's if the siren goes off or the alarm goes off in some cases we want our body to respond and help us get out of danger you know so it's not about we're not trying to eliminate the stress response system actually it's healthier to have a healthy stress response system that's the whole point of doing heart rate variability is so we can heart rate variability tells us that we have a healthy stress response and stress recovery happening the issue is that In our day-to-day lives, you know, we just end up under lots and lots and lots more stress. So I was thinking it's like our body is going into a stress response so often that the body essentially is like, "Eh, let's not turn it off because it's probably going to get triggered again in five minutes. Let's just leave it on. And so then the body leaves on the stress response system like constantly, so much so that I don't think we even realize it's still on. Like we, it becomes normal to be constantly in a stress response. And so people will say, well, I don't know if I'm stressed. It feels normal to me. But it's like actually very likely you're in a constant stress response that's probably never turning off. It's just constant. Well, I'm glad that you talked about HRV because this is something, you know, I wear an aura ring. I talk about this all the time that for me, even post-surgery, it was amazing to see the net impact of the stress of surgery, even though I felt fine, my HRV has been off for the past two weeks, like completely off. And I I recognize it's all a reflection of the stress that my body underwent under acute stress. But what is for the benefit of listeners, what is heart rate variability? Because 
it really, to me, it's finding a balance between the autonomic nervous system. So you have the parasympathetic and the sympathetic and why it's so important. Cause you've alluded to this, this chronic habitual sympathetic dominant nervous system that most of us are kind of living in our normal lives. Like we're so overstimulated. We're so overstressed. The last two years have really proven to many of us that we're a little overstressed. So when we talk about HRV, when we talk about heart rate variability, what does that really represent to you? So heart rate variability is, if you think, because normally we think of our heart rate as kind of like just a boom, you know, like just a regular single beat. But when you look really closely, it actually has some variability in that heart rate. And the, what they figured out is that variability in the beat actually shows us how well we're, our system is going from sympathetic to parasympathetic. It's amazing to me, actually, that they figured this out. I'm so grateful for whoever, whoever figured this out because it means that we can do a test in the moment, right? We can be wearing a device that helps us see how well is our body going from fight or flight, which is the sympathetic nervous system, right? What we think of as fight or flight, that adrenaline, make your blood pump, get your muscles moving, your brain moving so you can get out of danger system, which is, again, it's it reminds us we're human, first of all, and it reminds us that our bodies are meant to protect us. And we need it. But we also need our body to switch into parasympathetic because the parasympathetic is where we're going to be digesting our food and rest. Rest and digest is a classic. Being able to sleep, being able to calm our heart rate and do what I call anti-stress. We need a stress response and we want to choose things in our lives that might be stressful, like being a parent or having a job or a business or helping other people. It's going to have some stress, but we also need the counterbalance of anti-stress. And that happens with the parasympathetic nervous system. And so this is the parasympathetic is run mostly by the vagus nerve. So this vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body from the brain to the stomach, and it goes a lot of other places too. It's innervating our heart, our lungs. And so it's usually, we think of it as it's doing this stuff we don't usually have to think about, right? We don't have to think about breathing. Luckily, our body keeps breathing and our heart keeps beating. We don't have to, you know, it's not like with a, a bicep curl, we have to say, okay, arms, do a bicep curl. With our heart and our lungs, it keeps going on its own. That's part of the parasympathetic nervous system and the vagus nerve. But it's like when we're under this constant stress, you know, because of, as you mentioned, overstimulation, we've got one more text message, another email, we've got bright lights at different times of day when we sh our brain really should be exposed to darkness. We get, you know, there's just so much to do that we're not having enough time in that parasympathetic state then of course our digestion is not going to work well. You know, how are we going to digest our food if we're never in a rest and digest state? How is our hormones going to, how is our ovaries going to function or our pancreas or our thyroid? How's it going to function right if we're constantly in a stress response? How is our, and our nervous system is going to be constantly in a adrenalized, you know, stimulated state versus having a balance of calming. And so it just helps us realize like if it's like, Sometimes I say it's like driving a car with the wheels out of balance. You know, you're driving down the road and everything's like wobbly and you can't steer right. <laughs> That's what it feels like. We're driving our cars with our wheels all out of balance. <laughs> and it becomes normal. We're like, oh, this is just the way it always is. But it doesn't have to be that way. And we don't really want to be driving our human vehicle it out of balance because over time that's what then creates chronic symptoms and chronic health issues from 
autoimmunity to chronic anxiety and insomnia to weight gain to chronic digestive symptoms, heart disease, diabetes, you name it, dementia. That's because we've been driving our car with the wheels out of balance for a long time. I think we just get that becomes our new normal. I love that you touched on the vagus nerve because in cardiology, we talk a lot about the vagus nerve. And for anyone that's listening, we can stimulate the vagus nerve just by taking like box breathing is the best example I can give. Before I do talks, I do a lot of box breathing. It helps slow your heart rate. But a lot of my patients in cardiology would pass out because they would stimulate their vagus nerve when they pooped or when they urinated. And so it became this running joke. We would get post-mictrician syncope, post-defecation syncope, you know, passing out. But this is such an important nerve. You know, it's it innervates our entire body. And much to your point, it helps provide that balance that we're looking for. And for anyone that's listening, you know, the past two years has really demonstrated for many of us how well we're coping with chronic stress. There's no one who hasn't had more stress over the past two years. And I love that we kind of started the conversation around the stress response, talking about the vagus nerve, but let's talk about Mm -hmm. some of the hormones like cortisol and epinephrine and our adrenals and the neurotransmitters and the neurotransmitters, I think are the most fascinating, like things that we can do to upregulate inhibitory versus excitatory hormone or neurotransmitters and how that can impact our stress response as well. Definitely. So we're, yes, there's this fight or flight system, the sympathetic parasympathetic, that's our initial stress response. And then there's what's called the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And this is where our brain is talking to our adrenal glands, which are down above the kidneys. And the adrenal glands do a lot of stuff. They really do. They make cortisol, they make adrenaline too, and they make DHEA, and they also manage our blood pressure. They do a lot, and are, but we tend to forget about them, and they don't really show up in standard blood work. So if you're, you know, if you're like, but my blood work was normal, well, the adrenal glands are not really in that blood work. They're, you know, when we do standard blood work, we're looking for a CBC, right? So we would see if you have anemia or an infection. Um, If we look at a complete metabolic panel, we're looking at kidney and liver function. If you don't have anemia or an infection or kidney or liver failure, your blood work's probably normal, you know? And so really the only time the blood work is abnormal, probably then it's an emergency and you should go to the emergency room, you know? Like there's a lot that doesn't show in the standard blood work. And so I just wanna remind people that because a lot of times people are like, well, my blood work's normal. I don't feel well, I'm tired, I'm anxious, I'm not sleeping well. Why isn't it showing in my blood work? Why is my usual doctor saying everything's fine or this is just aging or this is just perimenopause, right? It's like, get used to it. And I'd be like, no, don't just get used to it. It's that we are not doing the right testing. We need to be looking at testing that's gonna actually show us how your adrenal glands are holding up. And even if we do a fasting cortisol in the blood work, like you could do a blood test in the morning for cortisol levels, And even then that the range is really broad. So much of the time it still is normal. It's only gonna show if it's extremely off track. So to understand the adrenals, I mean, first of all, I would say like, and we can talk more about this cortisol and how it affects us, but I just wanna throw out there that probably the reason you haven't been hearing about it is because it's not going to show in the standard blood work. We need to do more functional specialty testing of, and we can measure cortisol different times a day and urine and saliva. And I know you talk about this a lot, but I agree with you. We need to be doing either urine or saliva morning, midday, evening, bedtime, because cortisol is not a hormone that's the same all day. Our healthy cortisol should be 
increasing in the morning. They help us wake up and tell us it's morning and daytime, and then gradually decreasing through the day so that it's lowest before we're going to go to sleep. And by looking at, see, this is the thing, Cynthia, is I've been measuring humans, <laughs> my cortisol level and adrenaline level and human cortisol and adrenaline level, thousands of patients for over two decades. This has just been my interest and my focus for over two decades, I've been in practice for 22 years. So this isn't just something I came up with, you know, last year. This is what I study. This is what I do. And what I found is that it's so important to measure because we're not all the same. Even though we're all, like you talked about, we all have stress exposure, especially with the pandemic. But that doesn't mean that our cortisol and adrenaline is the same for all of us. Some of us, that cortisol and adrenaline will get stuck. Like we're talking about, we get stuck in this survival mode or stress mode. Some of us, our cortisol gets stuck too high at certain times a day. And some of us, the cortisol gets stuck too low at certain times a day. Or some of us might even have a combination of the two. But the only way we'll know is to measure it. If we're guessing, we don't really know what's going on. We're like if when I put it out there, like how many people, even in your audience, how many people would guess your cortisol is too high? And I think a lot of people, like more than 75%, assume it's too high. But actually, when I look at the research and I look at my the studies of all the patients I've looked at, it's not 70 more than 75% that have high cortisol. It's more like maybe 50% have high cortisol certain times a day. And the other 50% have too low at certain times a day. And the reason why it's so important is the treatment is totally different. You know, it would be like, it would be, to me, it'd be like treating someone as if they have high blood pressure when they actually have low blood pressure. It would be the completely wrong treatment. We would never want to do that, right? Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's Colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armrest Colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to try 
armra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. I think that's such an important distinction about testing, not guessing. And this is why it's important to work with clinicians who are functionally integrative medicine trained so that they can help tease out the nuances because you get the best of both worlds. Like if you need blood work done, we can order that. And if you need functional integrative medicine type testing, and I really like the Dutch to get a sense of what's going on and work with that test a lot. It's an amazing test. And I always tell people you want to make sure whomever you're working with has looked at hundreds of them because I'm sure you see this too. People who end up on your doorstep who are working with, you know, a well-meaning provider And the first thing I say is if they've done a test or someone else, what did they tell you? Because then it gives me a sense of whether or not that person really knew how to interpret this test. (laughs) And then I go for my interpretation. And more often than not, people are like, oh, I wasn't told any of those things. So testing is certainly very important. And I know we're going to dive into how to kind of determine where you fall but I think that's, it's also an important time to actually make sure that we mention like stress is a hormetic benefit. It, you know, the right amount at the right time is beneficial. However, chronically over time, it can erode our health. And this is a large focus of your book is really talking about making those connections, because I think most women, as an example, wouldn't make the connection that chronic stress can impact fertility 
autoimmunity, you know, your nervous system and dysregulating these neurotransmitters and chemicals. And then even the epigenetics piece, which I love that you taught that you kind of wrapped into your book for a lot of people understanding the epigenetics it's, you know, do you turn a gene on or off? Like you can be born with these SNPs, but you may not necessarily have a problem with them. But what I see, and I'm sure this is probably the same for you is people can kind of cruise through their twenties and thirties, and then they get into perimenopause and then they go into menopause and all of a sudden they don't manage or mitigate their stress quite as effectively. And before we dive into like what shows up for chronic stress in the body, can we just briefly touch on like, what has been your experience when you're working with middle-aged women? Because I feel like whether it's a divorce, whether it's an illness, like I spent 13 days in the hospital, which completely shot my whole body for a while, but sometimes whether you lose a job, you have a major move, something big happens in middle age. And that really can throw your adrenals off. Like your adrenals are struggling to keep up with the demands that your body is placing on it. Absolutely. They, the adrenals are, I mean, they're really helping us out all day, all the time. Like I really like, like to bring awareness to the importance of these adrenal glands. And they, as you're mentioning, they have everything to do with how we feel day to day and they have everything to do how we're going to feel in the future. So I put them as like priority number one. And as you mentioned, I too often have patients who come to me because I work with patients both one-on-one and in online programs and they come and I'm glad when at least they've seen a practitioner who's paying attention to the effects of stress and even paying attention to the adrenal glands. But every single time they are given the incorrect treatment. And so I get so frustrated for the patients. I'm like, I'm sorry. This is why I wrote this book, Master Your Stress, Reset Your Health, is because this is what I've studied. And I know that there's a so important to address it strategically and correctly so that the person actually can recover and prevent the adrenal issues in the future. I mean, I think that so often people will say, oh, there's something with my adrenals. I'm just going to go to the health food store and buy an adrenal product. Or even a practitioner, they might say, well, there's something wrong with your adrenals. So here's a glandular adrenal product, or here's a general cortisol manager product. But it's like, if it's not the right you know, ingredients for at the right time of day for you, you could be taking an adrenal product and feel nothing different. So this is one way to know if what you're doing for your adrenals is working or not. If you're saying to yourself, I don't even know if this is doing anything, it's probably not the right treatment. <laughs> because when you get the right a treatment for your adrenal glands, you are going to have better energy, better focus, better mood, better sleep. You're going to actually feel better. So if you're not feeling better based on your current treatment, it's probably not the right treatment and have let Cynthia and I help you because when we do a test, like you mentioned, the Dutch test is a urine test. You can do it different times a day to actually see your correct cortisol. Even if you're on a glandular or hydrocortisone, we can see your cortisol levels and then we can modify your treatment. We can fine tune it. And we can also then, what I found in my research, Cynthia, is it's so important to also measure epinephrine and, epine- and norepinephrine levels. This is otherwise known as adrenaline levels. These can also be measured in urine. And when we have this information, it's like, I mean, it's like if you were going to try to solve a puzzle, but you're missing a puzzle piece. Like you're never going to solve the puzzle because you're missing a puzzle piece. So it's like we have to know the adrenaline levels to really solve for adrenal. And I call it, by the way, I call it adrenal distress because 
to me, if we say adrenal exhaustion or adrenal fatigue, it connotates that it's low functioning and that's not always the case either. And so I wanna, again, I wanna make sure that I know exactly what type of adrenal distress this person has, because then I can guide you down my three phase recovery protocol. You know, again, this is from, you know, helping recover myself too. I have had been through burnout multiple times and I was like, enough already. I've had to figure this out so many times and I've been told the wrong treatment so many times. I've finally had to figure out how to get my body recovered from adrenal distress. So now that's why I'm so passionate about sharing this message and saying it's possible. It's not only possible, but I want to guide you to get to the point where you know what your body needs on a daily basis based on if you have surgery or last week, my father had a stroke. And so I'm going through this stress of going into care for my parent, you know, and how to help him with a stroke recovery while also keeping up with my patients and my book and everything. And it's like, how am I going to be able to keep doing what I do, but not end up burned out again? And so I use exactly the tools that I teach in the book in order to do that. Well, and I think it's so important. I love that you mentioned the the concept of bioindividuality. And I have a woman that I'm thinking of right now who, you know, Rarely do I start with glandular products when I'm looking at a Dutch that's a little wonky. And in her instance, I did. And, you know, appropriately. But what was interesting was that she had such low cortisol levels. We had talked about, we're going to buffer this for a little while, but it was so stimulating. I don't think, I think she had gone through so many years of being so depleted, her adrenals being so depleted that just providing a glandular product was too stimulating. And so I said, okay, let's try half. We got down to a quarter of a pill and now she's fine. And so I said, okay, this is where we need to be. But I think you really bring up a good point that we have to address adrenal and cortisol issues differently, depending on the patterns that we see. So when we're under chronic stress over time, what are the most common symptoms that'll show up for you? Or I really should rephrase that and say, not necessarily symptoms, but what are the most common diagnoses you see associated with? these chronic stress issues. Here's how I think about that. And this is based on reviewing hundreds of research articles. Um, My mind, the way my brain works is I look for patterns um, because I then can use those patterns, you know, with patients going forward. So it's four major systems that are going to be affected by this chronic stress. One is a digestion. So we're going to see anyone listening or any, you know, in the common diagnoses might be, I mean, classically would be like IBS, right? We know IBS is caused by stress. We also know stomach ulcers are highly associated with stress, but maybe a person doesn't get all the way to stomach ulcers. Maybe they just have heartburn or reflux or gas and bloating or what might get diagnosed as SIBO or dysbiosis or constipation and diarrhea or even a inflammatory bowel disease. You know, it's anywhere in that spectrum of we're just not digesting our food well. It's going to be more inflammatory because these are undigested proteins and we have more intestinal permeability because we know stress causes damage to the intestinal cells. So we end up with leaky gut and we end up with unbalanced bacteria because the food's not getting digested well and we know stress itself disrupts gut bacteria. So it becomes this perfect storm in the digestive tract of 
inflammation, food sensitivities, imbalanced gut bacteria, and we're just, it's going to get diagnosed in some fashion based on that, right? <laughs> so it's going to show, a lot of times it shows up with digestive issues. That's the first area. The second area is it's going to disrupt all the other hormones in the body. So it could show up as low thyroid or hyperthyroid. It could show up as insulin and glucose issues, right? Like you mentioned, your blood sugar. I think you told me that before. Mm -hmm. Your blood sugars were higher. You're trying to get your blood sugars back after the surgery. It's like, yeah, our insulin and our blood sugar is going to get thrown off by stress. But so are all the other hormones in the body. You name it, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, ghrelin. I mean, you could just name all the different hormones. They get affected by stress. So it might not show up with all of those for every person. But if you're like, wait a minute, why is my thyroid not right and my blood sugars are higher and my digestion's off? Then it's like, okay, stress is, your body's trying to tell you that stress playing a role and we need to start addressing it. So that's the second area is all the other hormones in the body. The third is the neurotransmitters. And I'm so glad you've been mentioning them already because I love to talk about neurotransmitters. I've been helping patients with amino acid therapy to rebalance neurotransmitters for 20 years. I've been doing urinary neurotransmitter testing for that period of time as well. And this is not common. This is not something I learned in naturopathic medical school. This is not something most practitioners learn about, um, but it's something that I became specialized in because I saw how much it helped me and how much it helps my patients. And so definitely stress, and cortisol and adrenaline, it disrupts our neurotransmitters. We tend to get depleted in serotonin, which of course is mostly made in our digestion. We already talked about what an issue stress is for our digestion. So then it's kind of like, well, of course, we're not going to have good serotonin production and GABA production gets depleted too. And then dopamine levels can go either too high or too low, depending on your genetics. So you know, it becomes this completely imbalanced neurotransmitter situation. And I can see it when I measure it in the urine. And then what I do is I guide you. And I write about this in the book too. I teach you about what it looks like and that it's even possible to rebalance your neurotransmitters using nutrients. You know, like it doesn't, we so much often think if it's a neurotransmitter, it's in our nervous system and we, oh, the only option is a medication. Well, no. I want people to know that is not true. You can rebalance your neurotransmitters by addressing your stress, healing your gut, and using amino acid therapy. It's completely possible. So that's the, the third area is the neurotransmitters. And the fourth area is the immune system. So this is when we start seeing more frequent infections, whether that's urinary tract infections, recurrent or vaginal infections, right? Vaginal yeast, or we start seeing HPV. I, that's, you know, another thing I specialize in is HPV. And what I see that I don't hear any other women's health specialists saying, but I see it because I specialize in stress. I see that stress is completely linked to HPV. When I talk to women who are coming up with a positive HPV test, and I say, has your life been stressful the past couple of years? They're like, yep, and they can point exactly. I just got divorced. I just had, I just got married. I've been a grad student. I am going through perimenopause. I just came through the pandemic. In fact, I'm really worried because coming through the pandemic, I'm seeing much higher levels of HPV and abnormal pap smears. But anyway, the immune system gets completely hit by stress. So we also are more likely to have allergies. So some people are more likely to get urticaria or hives or sinus allergies. Also, we're more likely to get autoimmunity. We know from the research, if we look at what causes autoimmunity, 
It's stress. The researchers say that. But then there's nothing that says, and here's what you do about it. And so this is where I'm like, no, there's so much we can do. We can reverse autoimmunity by recovering from stress. Well, one thing about autoimmunity that I've found is once you have one autoimmune issue, you are more prone to others. And I think that's significant because we probably in traditional allopathic medicine don't speak about this enough. We just say, okay, you have Hashimoto's, you have celiac, you have alopecia areata, whatever it is that you have. And then we don't say to people, you know, what could really be at the basis of this is chronic unmitigated stress. Now, I think that's super helpful to kind of give people contacts. Now, one thing, ironically enough, I was talking to Dr. Sarah Gottfried last week, and, and she was talking about the new book that she's in the process of writing. And of course, I wanted to ask what it was about. And it was talking about the interrelationship between trauma and hormones. And so in the book, you talk about adverse child events. And so that was a conversation we had last week. And I thought this was fascinating. So we know the more stress you have as a child, the more impact on long-term health. This is really significant. So we have kids over the past two years that are also dealing with unmitigated amounts of additional stress, whether it's just, you know, the stress of not being able to connect with people, or it's the stress of maybe their financial pressures at home, or maybe there are other things that are going on for them. And so I want to at least touch on the significance of this, how people can screen for adverse childhood events and why this is so significant. So it's another layer, like trauma is something that I probably didn't appreciate enough until I started to realize that trauma is not just the big things. You can have micro traumas throughout your childhood that can impact you just as much, if not more than a major trauma, whether it was a divorce, maybe you had a bad breakup, you had an abusive relationship, maybe you were bullied. All of these things can impact our health, not just like at that point in time, but throughout our lifetime. Yes, definitely. And I, I'm so glad that there's more awareness for this term trauma and more of just acceptance that as humans, we do have traumatic, and I love how you're saying micro-traumatic experiences and to not be ashamed of that. Cause there's a lot of times I think there was shame and feeling embarrassed to even say that mm -hmm. I had trauma experience. And now to be able to say, actually, this is very, very common and let's put it out on the table and start doing, working with it and communicating with each other about it so we can heal from this trauma. Because inevitably, if these childhood events and this trauma doesn't get talked about and dealt with, it perpetuates into future generations. And so I think if we're standing up now and saying, wait a minute, it stops here with me. I'm not going to allow this to continue for the next generations. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to heal it for me so that we can change this pattern. Because this is actually, ultimately, when we say epigenetics, that's what we're saying. We're saying that when we're exposed to stress and trauma at any time in our lives from childhood and even stress from our parents and our grandparents affects our genetic expression in this lifetime. So when I talk about, in the book, I identify five stress types, and this is how you uniquely react, respond to stress. What is your body doing with your stress exposure? And this stress type is partially determined by your stress exposure from your parents and your grandparents, your genetic expression related to how does your cortisol respond when you're stressed? How does your COMT metabolize your adrenaline levels? Is it gonna leave you with a high adrenaline or a low adrenaline based on your stress exposure and your 
expression of your genetics. And so this is how important it is. I think this is why the research shows that childhood events are associated with health issues, because we know those that stress is going to cause all the things I just talked through. It's going to affect these four systems. It's going to cause, we know it's associated with obesity, heart disease, diabetes, all of the chronic issues that we know of. So what I also love people to hear is that just because you had trauma and just because you had a childhood event doesn't mean that that's definitely going to cause health issues in your future. You can always choose to make changes today to change your future. It That also is very clear in the research, right? Like this is the whole idea with epigenetics is that we're not set in stone already. We can acknowledge the trauma we've experienced, and then we can, as a human today, say, I'm choosing to do something about it. I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to make sure I get better sleep. I'm going to get some recovery activities. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to take the right supplement. I'm going to do the tests that I need to do to know how to help my body recover from that stress and trauma so that I'm decreasing my likelihood of chronic health issues and I'm increasing my longevity. Right? Like that's the key. We want to have the best quality of life for as long as we can. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Weight gain is one of many symptoms that our hormones are in decline, especially as we navigate perimenopause into menopause. Dr. Anna, who is a great friend of mine, is an OBGYN who's treated thousands of women just like you and I who experience increasing dryness and even pain in the bedroom as they get older. 
Jolva is the solution Dr. Anna formulated for her own clients, and it has since been loved by over 100,000 women. It's a feminine cream with DHEA that helps the body regenerate moisture from the inside out. 92.8% of Jolva users experienced a significant improvement in the first four to eight weeks. Get 10% off your first purchase of Jolva by using the link dranna.com slash Cynthia. That's dranna.com Cynthia and get 10% off your first purchase. I think that's such an important distinction. And you mentioned some very important things. We talk about intergenerational trauma and that does not mean that we will perpetuate those epigenetic changes. And so, you know, I view some family members of mine very compassionately. So what usually goes along with trauma is shame and, you know, much to your point, when you start talking about these things, you can, you know, that process of shame kind of gets rewritten, but also understanding like the people in my life that I grew up around who were perhaps not in a healthy mindset or philosophy, I look at them very compassionately because that then does not allow the shroud of shame to be part of that. But I think it's so, so important for people to understand that just because you experience that as a child or a young adult does not mean that that clouds the rest of your existence. There are so many things we can do proactively. And I love that you've kind of created a system to be able to address this. So you alluded to these stress types. So let's kind of, what are the most common stress types that you see? You've got mm-hmm. five mentioned in your book. Yes. And what are the most common ones that you see with your female population? Mm-hmm. Well, the one that, you know, again, a lot of people assume they're going to be the stress magnet, which is the stress magnet is a high cortisol, high adrenaline. And so that it, it and I'm seeing more of them, Cynthia, I'm seeing more stress magnets in the past year than the past 20 years. And I think it is because we've been under so much more stress with the pandemic that the stress magnet is showing up more. And so that's one where there's high cortisol and high adrenaline at all day long or at least at some point in the day. It's more rare that it's all day, by the way. When I see a high cortisol all day, those are usually cases of, I mean, it's like now we're talking severe OCD, anorexia, like it gets, that happens in, you know, when the body's under you know, even higher levels of stress, but it does happen. And other times it might just be that they have high cortisol in the morning and then it comes down or just high cortisol in the evening or a little bit of both, right? That's still, I consider in a stress magnet. The opposite of that would be this, the blah and blue, which blah and blue is when the cortisol is too low at some point in the day. Often it's that the cortisol is too low in the morning because it should be lower in the evening. (laughs) But I would say also they tend to have low adrenaline. So this is again why I think it's so important to measure both cortisol and adrenaline so that I can really clarify, is it just low cortisol? Because in that case, the treatment is going to be focused on, on the cortisol. If it's also low adrenaline, now we need to address both of those. And Again, this is why it's so important in my stress recovery protocol to know your stress type because it's a totally different path down the stress recovery, right? Like, first of all, if you have high cortisol at some point a day, then you're going to need to address that first before we address. This reminds me, there's the other three stress types. Let me tell you that first. So there's the tired and wired has high 
adrenaline with low cortisol. So it's also possible to have a combination, right? It's not that they move together. You can have high adrenaline with low cortisol. In that case, we need to address the high adrenaline before we can address the low cortisol. Or there's the opposite, which is the sluggish and stressed has high cortisol, low adrenaline. We have to address the high cortisol before we address the low adrenaline. This is why it's so important to know which stress type pattern it is so that you're doing your, your treatment protocol correctly, right? It doesn't, if you're just using a regular adrenal product that might have ashwagandha, which helps lower high cortisol, but it might have some tyrosine, which raises low adrenaline, that's only going to work well for the stress type that has high cortisol, low adrenaline. And I wouldn't even just start there, Cynthia. I wouldn't even start with a ashwagandha tyrosine product. And what I would do is I would first measure the neurotransmitters because to me, if a person had, even no matter what their cortisol and adrenaline is up to, if they have low serotonin and low GABA, we have to do that first. And so in the book I talk about, we have to address, we have to support the serotonin and GABA first and start calming your system out of stress mode. We have to get that vagus nerve stimulated. You talk about how easy it is to stimulate the vagus nerve just by taking a deep breath. We can stimulate our vagus nerve. We can start getting ourselves out of stress mode, calming, get the calming neurotransmitters, serotonin and GABA. Once we calm ourselves out of stress mode, imagine that. Imagine that it's possible to get out of stress mode. Now, we can address these imbalanced cortisol and adrenaline levels. It's like if, how can we be addressing our stress when we're still under so much stress? Like it would be, it's like we're working against ourselves. We're just treading water. I don't want you to just tread water under stress. I want you to like be able to calm and then be like, okay, now let's rebalance and then let's maintain over time. Well, the other thing that I think is really important for people to think about is that we have something called the prefrontal cortex mm -hmm. and we have our reptilian brain, which is the amygdala. And so when we're dealing with overwhelming amounts of stress, the reptile brain overrides the prefrontal cortex. And this is why people can't think cohesively or clearly. This is where you see individuals on the news that just make really poor decisions because they're dealing with this chronic stress load. So I love that you you know, really focus in on calming the brain, calming the autonomic nervous system. Do you have a particular neurotransmitter test that you like to utilize in your practice? Because I, I'm sure this is where, where we will get questions for sure. After the fact, <laughs> for sure. I mean, there are a couple different specialty labs that offer neurotransmitter testing. The one that I use most often at this point in time is from a lab called Sinesco. And I like the Sinesco lab because the researchers have been doing this testing for the longest and I have been using them consistently. So I, you know, when you do a test and you can see the predictability and accuracy of the levels, and then I can use it with my patients with amino acid therapy and predictably have good outcomes. Now I have built more trust in this particular lab and testing. So that's why I use them, but there are some others that offer it as well. Yeah, it's really, it's fascinating the amount of things that we can test for. So we focus first on calming the autonomic nervous system. And then you said you kind of have this stepwise approach, which obviously people should buy the book because there's a lot of great information in there. What are some of the supplements or things that you like to do lifestyle change wise that are part of the 
you know, phase two, phase three, that might be of interest for people to, you know, learn a little bit more about some of these things may not be as commonly, you know, thought about because much to your point, we think about glandulars. We think about, we're going to go buy that, you know, that adaptogenic blend, which probably has good properties to it, but it might not be the right blend for you and your body. Exactly. That's why it's so important. I mean, I mean, I do use these herbs and nutrients, but I want you to know, hey, this is the right herb and nutrient at this time of day for me at this point in my life, you know, so that you're getting the most out of it, right? If you're going to swallow something, you want to make sure, hey, this is the right treatment for me at this moment. And that might change over time. And yes, in the book, what I talk about is I use the acronym CARE. So like self-care, again, wanting to help us prioritize our self-care, which is so important with stress recovery. So much of the time we're Part of the reason we're stressed is because we're not prioritizing ourselves. We're so used to saying yes to helping everyone else before we're helping ourselves. And so some of that is shifting that I really guide you in the book to say, how do I shift to prioritizing myself and really getting my self-care routine into my day-to-day schedule? And then I use the acronym CARE to point to clean eating, adequate sleep, recovery activities, and exercise. And I went through all the research to see, should we even be modifying our care activities based on our stress type? And I really would like there to be more research related to this going forward. This is, I hope, one of the outcomes of this book is to show researchers that we want to know how to implement our care activities based on if I have high cortisol or low cortisol, high adrenaline, low adrenaline, what should I be doing and implementing to help in my stress type pattern? And um, But there is some information out there, and that's what I share in the book to say, hey, even if we're going to be choosing intermittent fasting, for example, how do we choose intermittent fasting in a way that matches our stress type? Someone who has already high cortisol levels, for example, may need to start with a much shorter fasting window than someone who doesn't have a high cortisol level, right? So we need to be willing to modify even our dietary changes, depending on how our current relationship with stress, our current status with our stress type. I think that's a really important distinction is to, you know, not use a one size fits all philosophy and, you know, obviously being an intermittent fasting expert, I am completely aligned with that. I always say, if we think about hormesis or hermetic stress, whether it's fasting, high intensity interval training, cold water therapy, et cetera, that it's the right amount of stress at the right time. And it really speaks to what you're saying that if you're someone who already has super high cortisol, you might just need 12 hours of digestive rest. And there's no shame in that. Like, that's what we're saying. If you're supposed to heal your body, you really have to lean into what is going to quiet that autonomic nervous system. And I think a lot of people, maybe it's when they get a device like a whoop band or an oar and they start tracking their HRV, they're sometimes shocked. They think if, oh, I'm sleeping really well, but my HRV is in the toilet, it might be a good indication that I have some work I need to do. And it was interesting. I think it was Peter Atia that was talking about age-related variability to HRV, which makes sense, you know, much like everything else in our lives. And one of the things that some of my patients will get fixated on, and I'm sure you have people with personality types like this as well, they get fixated on that number, what the average is. And their day is either a good day or a bad day based on that. And I always say, like, look at it as an average, like over the course of a week, that's what we're looking at. 
obviously post-surgery, my HRV has been in the toilet, but it's also, I've been sleeping well, I wake up rested, but it's also a sign that, you know, underneath the skin, my body still is processing the stress of going through a surgery, even though thankfully it was now patient surgery. So I definitely want listeners to be able to purchase your book, connect with you. Are there any other insights? Is there research in any area that's emerging that you think is particularly relevant? Obviously, I know when we write these books, there's always a hundred other things we wish you could have included that you find out after the fact, but is there anything you would have included in the book now that you hadn't before that maybe you weren't aware of? So far, I haven't had that thought yet. I'm really glad. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty like OCD about getting everything in there. And the thing is that made me think when you were just saying is that I just want to like the listeners to kind of catch yourself for a moment here. And when you're, say, looking at your heart rate variability or whatever you're tracking, your blood sugar levels or your ketones or whatever you're tracking, and take a minute and do a little self-check. Are you looking at these numbers with self-compassion and alignment with yourself? Or did that self-critic jump in? Because we're trained from a young age to have a self-critic, this judgmental thing that says to us we should be doing it better, longer, bigger, right? Like we're supposed to go more. If we're going to intermittent fast, we got to do it the best. If we're going to exercise, we're supposed to do it longer. You know, like we're so trained that way that we get this voice going. And sometimes it's hard to separate ourselves from this voice that's driving us. Believe me, I've been there. I mean, I've been driven. That's why I've done what I've done in terms of (laughs) finishing these degrees and writing all these books about stress is because I've had this internal drive to do more. And I just want, it's really, Cynthia, been in the past year that I came face to face with that for myself. So it's actually in the book. It wasn't in the original draft of the book, though. I can share with you. In the first draft of the book, this was not in there. In the first draft, then I went through going face to face with myself and saying, how do I see myself, really myself, separate from this driven stressed piece that wants to keep doing it more and better and faster. And it was only when I was able to really align with myself that I was able to do the second version of this book that you see now that is also guiding you to do the same thing, to say, hey, how can I have compassion for myself as a human? If my heart rate variability is not exactly what I'm aiming for, how do I sit with it and say, hey, that makes sense. Like you just said, I just came to surgery and I'm going to do things that it's going to improve in the future. Instead of getting hard on ourselves and triggering another stress response. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think it's a really important distinction and one that we really need to consider. So please let the listeners know how to connect with you, how to purchase your book. Obviously we'll have all the links when this podcast episode is released, but how can they connect with you on social media, your website and purchase the book? Well, I'm Dr. Donnie. So it's, and Donnie is spelled D-O-N-I-D is, or Donnie is short for Donnie-L. So most people are like, where did that name come from? So Dr. Donnie is short for Donnie-L and I'm Dr. Donnie Wilson on Instagram and Facebook. And even my website URL is Dr. Donnie. So D-R-D-O-N-I 
or you can spell it out D-O-C-T-O-R-D-O-N-I. And I just love to share more about all of these different topics and how it relates to different health issues. And just to inspire all of you to know there's that you're human too, just like Cynthia and I, and we're going to have stress. How about instead of judging ourselves about our stress, how about we embrace it, we have compassion for ourselves, and we start supporting ourselves through that stress so that we can have the beautiful inspiration and creation and passion for our life that we all really want anyway. And one we deserve as well. We deserve, yes. Thanks again. Thank you, Cynthia. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.